Dose of Leadership Podcast, episode 119. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership Podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, hey, welcome to the Dose of Leadership Podcast. This is your host, Richard Ryerson. Thanks for tuning in. Hey, thank you so much for all of your support. If it wasn't for you, this show wouldn't even be possible. So if you can, make sure you're spreading the word. Let people know about this show. Tell a friend, a family, a coworker. Let them know what you think about this show. And if you've got the time, please, three to five minutes, go to iTunes, go to Stitcher. Let me know what you think about the show. Leave a rating and review. It does so much to help uh, visibility of the show. Keeps us front and center in iTunes and helps me to continue to let me build this audience as large as we can. Thank you so much for taking the time to do that. And if you haven't taken the time, I also got a brand new podcast out there. It's called the Courageous Leadership Podcast. It's not an interview podcast like this one. It's just me for about 10 to 15 minutes. I try to do it daily. We talk about um, some leadership tip or tactic that helps you become a more authentic and courageous leader. So again, go check it out, Courageous Leadership Podcast, and, and let me know what you think about this one. Again, thanks so much for your support, and here's the interview. Well, I'm so happy to introduce to you today Don Hudson, and welcome to the Dose of Leadership Podcast. He has multiple careers in speaking and management and sales, and it's brought him so many honors. He successfully, successfully worked his way through the University of Memphis, graduating with a degree in sales, and after he became the number one salesperson in a national training organization, he established his own training firm, and he was soon in demand as a professional speaker, and he's been doing it ever since. Don's client list is pretty impressive. It includes over two-thirds of all the Fortune 500 companies, and he's featured in over 100 training, for, uh, training films. He's a CEO of a company called U.S. Learning. He's a chairman of Executive Books, and he makes about 75 speaking appearances a year. I'm sure you've probably seen him on national television where he's been featured on ABC, PBS, and Fox News. He's the author or co-author of 12 books, including The Sale and his two Wall Street and New York Times international bestsellers, The One Minute Entrepreneur and The One Minute Negotiator. He's a member of the prestigious Speakers Roundtable. He was elected by his peers to the presidency of the National Speakers Association and has received its coveted Cabot Award as Member of the Year. He's also been inducted into NSA's Speakers Hall of Fame. So, Don, welcome to the Dose of Leadership podcast. Thank you, Richard. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Well, it's so exciting to have you here. So, you know, it talked a little bit about you in the bio, but talk, tell us how it all started for you. How did you get so passionate about leadership? Well, um, I worked my way through college selling, and uh, immediately upon graduation from the University of Memphis, went to work for a sales training firm selling enrollments and seminars. And I simultaneously got experience in uh, speaking, selling, leadership, building an organization. And then I got pretty good at presenting our programs, and people started asking me to speak for their companies. So uh, that's how I got on the speaking circuit. And then my, my chosen areas of expertise is that I'm a leadership and sales management trainer and a sales trainer. So that's kind of how it happened. And then you fast forward a ways. In 45 years, I've done 6,000 speeches in 34 countries, written 13 books. Wow. It's pretty amazing. You know, entrepreneurship is such a hot topic these days. You know, you look at the podcasts that are out there, 
and there seems to be this kind of re reemergence or rebirth of entrepreneurship. Talk to me about the one minute entrepreneur and and, uh, and what's it entailed with that. Well, uh, I always love talking about that book. We uh, Ken Blanchard and I wrote it in nineteen in, uh, nineteen or I'm sorry in uh, two thousand and eight. And we got a fun run out of it. It was number one on New York Times and Wall Street Journal's list for uh, about a month. And we stayed on the list for a few more weeks and got a great run out of it. And it's still selling very well. But the big dividend for me, Richard, was having the opportunity to work with Ken Blanchard and get to know him even better. We worked on that book, actually, for about five years. And it it just deals with the concept of entrepreneurship and what we've got to do to try to be our best in growing our organization and and putting our time and energy into doing the things that matter, that that are going to get you the best results. So it's a parable, like so many of the Blanchard books have been through the years. And uh, it's a good storyline. It's done pretty well. We still get some nice dividends. Yeah, so what do you think about um, – I've, I've talked to a handful of entrepreneurs and said, you know, do you think uh, all entrepreneurs are leaders or do you think leadership is a requirement for entrepreneurship? Talk to me about that. Well, I think if you're going to be dedicated to building an organization of any substance, you've got to develop leadership skills along the way. And I think uh, – you know, there's some people who are good managers who really aren't necessarily a good leader. I really think we need both skill sets. I think somebody who's got a, a substantive title and a leadership position, if they look behind them, they need to see some enthusiastic followers back there. So, yeah, I think leadership skills go right along with success as an entrepreneur. I think one of the one of the big issues about entrepreneurship is that somebody sometimes will get into a business thinking, I'm passionate about this. I love this product that I invented. And maybe they are, are skilled inventors, but then they have a, a lot of uh, skill sets that they lack. And they don't spend enough time and energy surrounding themselves with the right people who pick up the slack on those lacking skill sets. So that's one of the problems, if we're not careful, is we don't uh, don't have enough of, of the specific skill sets we need to succeed in entrepreneurship. For example, you've heard the old story, somebody can invent the greatest mousetrap, but people are not going to be the path to your door. You've got to be skilled in the sales and marketing arena right. to be able to create revenues. Right. So, uh, you know, there's so many different things we've got to do. And I think a leader has got to be the kind of person who has got a compelling story, operates from high integrity, and has people who enthusiastically follow his or her lead. Yeah, do you recommend, especially on the entrepreneur side, I had a, um, well, he used to work for Jack DeBoer, who started Residence Inn um, years ago. And he told me, and he's, you know, he's got a pretty good entrepreneurial story. But he always told me that he didn't think, um, you couldn't have in the same person a great entrepreneur and a great manager, and I disagreed with him. What do you think about that? Well, you know, there's been a, a long-standing uh, debate through the years about are there born salespeople, are there born leaders, are there born athletes, and frankly, while there are some some people who are intellectually or physically uh, attuned to doing some things well, most things are learned skill sets. Right. So, you know, how to learn how to be a good manager, learn how to be a good leader, that information is available. Yep. So somebody who's not born with those inclinations, and I don't think anybody is really, we've got to figure out a way to learn them, and the best way is not to reinvent the wheel, but to, you know, to read the great books that are out there on those various topics, and go to the seminars and learn the skills that will help you uh, uh, internalize those uh, behaviors and skill sets that will help you succeed on a daily basis. 
Yeah, I always think it's a learned process, and I always thought too that to to be a successful entrepreneur, you should still try to um, certainly do everything you get to learn about leadership. But I think most importantly, you should also try to hire other leaders, people that are just as smart, if not smarter, than you. Because I, to me, that's where I think the real transformation, the real growth goes. Instead of hiring followers, mm-hmm. hire somebody that's uh, almost as just as good or better than you. Yeah, I agree. What about I you? agree with you completely, and uh, you know we've got to, got to figure out how we're going to learn those skills and be eager to to chase down the skill sets we need. And sometimes we we get so busy doing what we're doing that we take our eye off the learning ball. And I think we need to all be learning machines if we've got a leadership position. We got to read. You know, I try to read a hundred books a year and try to go to seminars myself to stay sharp on the topic. If I'm going to teach it, I figure I've got a responsibility to make sure I know what's out there and what the best practices are, and I just keep doing research myself all the time. And I think we've all got to do that. Yeah, and I, I think it's a process that never ends, right? I think uh, I think one thing, maybe 20 years ago, I would have thought, well, I can't wait, wait to reach this plateau. But leadership, as with anything, is just a, it's a never-ending process. It never stops, right? It absolutely is. If somebody treats learning as a periodic event, they're in trouble. Right. It's got to be a continuing process. What about personally for you? Can you name a person who's had a tremendous impact on you as a leader? Wow. There have been many. Uh, I've had a lot of mentors. Uh, One is Charlie Tremendous Jones, the great motivational speaker. He's a guy who's famous for the line, five years from now you'll be the same as you are today, except for the people you meet and the books you read. And he he had a profound influence on my life, and frankly, was my spiritual mentor for many years. But a great speaker, great inspirational human being, and he would be one. Uh, others would be Bill Gove, the first president of the National Speakers Association. Mm. Uh, I learned a lot of things from Bill Gove. One of the things was, if you're going to be a speaker, you got to have some humor. And I remember a young speaker said to Bill one time, well, Bill, do, I'm not fun, I'm not really funny. I want to be a professional speaker, but do you have to use humor to be a speaker? He said, oh, no, not unless you want to get paid. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Bill Gove was a great influence, and he helped me learn uh, the concept of, of where to find humor, how to develop it, how to use it on the platform. Yeah. And that's frankly been something that's had a major impact on my career, because I've heard speakers who are absolutely profound in terms of their content but if they're not entertaining they're not going to be considered a great speaker yeah interesting you got to have the you got to work on the whole package right absolutely yeah so what do you think you know you've talked to a lot of these organizations you talk about leadership you think about it you write about it you speak about it what do you think is one characteristic if you had to pull out one that you believe every leader should possess well i guess i would start with integrity I think to be a trusted advisor in any capacity, which I think a leader is with every person they're mentoring and and having an influence on, I think it starts with integrity and character. We've got to walk our talk. And when there's a lack of character, there's a lack of passionate following. I mean, people want to do right, and they want to have a leader who they can look up to and appreciate and admire. And I think that's probably rule number one. So I'd say start with integrity, and then I go from there into into a tendency to learn. Uh, if we're gonna if we're gonna be successful as a leader, we've got to build an organization that's filled with people who are just enthusiastic learning machines. 
Because if we just keep doing what we've always done, we're going to get less in return every single year. We've got to continue to work on honing the edges of every skill set that we've got. So that's one of the issues. Of course, our company name is U.S. Learning, so obviously I believe very much in the concept of training and development because that's what we're all about and what I've been doing for over 40 years. So what is the best way people learn? What is the best way we can motivate if we're, you know, we always you know, I always kind of feel for those HR and training departments trying to find innovative ways and, and mm-hmm. you just kind of get the stock well, PowerPoints. I, I and think all motivation, with the exception of periodic fear motivation that we don't see in the marketplace very much, with that exception, I think all motivation's got to come from within. Yeah. And the most skilled and talented leaders are the men and the women who have the ability to create an environment around people which will serve as an inducement for them to motivate themselves. Yeah. So some might refer to that as indirect motivation. So what do we do as as leaders, you know, because you always hear that, um, you know, I can't motivate this person. They're frustrated because they can't motivate them. And I've always said, well, you know, you can't. It's up to them, right? So I guess. uh, Well, it it really is up to them ultimately. But, you know, we we can say things to people that will set the stage for them having a desire to do better. And we can set parameters. You know, human behavior is the result of their belief system. So a leader has got to spend some time working on their belief system. A lot of times when we critique or or coach somebody, we go straight to the behavior, and that's not the ticket. The ticket is go to their belief system and say, Charlie, let's talk about why this doesn't work for you. And you get into the psychology behind what they're doing and why they're doing it and why people are not responding to what they're doing and it's not working well. And then you say, okay, let's try a new behavior. So we're tweaking and fine-tuning behaviors because we're, we're dealing with it through the belief system. And if we do that, we can gain some higher levels of results. Yes. Yeah, but talking about motivation, Richard, my favorite definition of motivation was from Henry David Thoreau. He said, motivation is the pull of anticipation and the push of discipline. Yeah. And the reason I think that's a great definition is because anticipation is so critical. That's the, those are the goals we set, the objectives we have in place, the vision we have for our personal and professional life. That's anticipation, which is so huge. But then our discipline, that's the work ethic to make it become a reality. And in that discipline, uh, we, of course, make decisions that we're going to learn. We're going to go to seminars. We're going to read books. We're going to listen to our mentors. We're going to go to the next level. So that's the reason I think that's a good definition. Yeah, I like that. And the intentionality, you know, that's one word I've really been stuck on this last six to eight months is the word intentionality. I think so often... And I'm guilty as charged that we just kind of go around on autopilot expecting things to happen, but we got to be intentional about the growth. And um, Absolutely. Yeah, that's a good word. Well, what do you think some of the, you know, you're out there talking to a lot of companies. What are some of the biggest challenges they seem to be facing these days? Well, I think one of the challenges is to make sure that you've got the right people in place. I think Jim Collins in Good to Great called it uh, having the right people on the bus. Right. And sometimes you can have the right people, but they're in the wrong seat. Right. And we've got to make sure we've got everybody in the right place and where they need to be because somebody could be highly competent in one area and incompetent in another area. So we need to make sure that we're working on uh, on doing a good job of slotting the right people in the right spot and making sure that we are encouraging everybody to continue to learn throughout the organization 
and sharing the vision with them and make them feel a part of the position and the vision and where things are going with the organization. And I think we got to, as trite as it sounds, we've got to walk around and interact and be available to people. We can't be the stealth leader. You know, that's a yeah, person yeah. who goes to the office, into the boss's office, closes the door and stays for hours. Yeah. And the boss is there, but nobody sees him. And the stealth leaders are the ones who usurp their opportunity to help people grow because they're absent from the process. Man, you see a lot of that stealth leadership everywhere you go. I mean, every organization I've <laughs> really it, so it, and it's, and I think it's because the leader does is either I don't know if it's insecurity, but I think more often than not they feel like they don't have the time because they're wrapped up in a lot of activity. That uh, if you really probably examined it, probably wouldn't be all that value added. I think. Yeah, sometimes. nothing is more important than growing your people. Yeah, and learning about the people and, and having those. You know, you talked about tapping into the, uh, their belief system, I think that's tied into, man, that means you got to really know your people. you got to establish relationships with them. you got to know everything about them. And that's where the emotion, mm-hmm. kind of the emotional intelligence piece comes in, in my opinion. It's something that's really not taught. you know? you got to really be intentional about learning how to be empathetic and listening to, that, to your people. Absolutely. And I think we've also got to be a good coach with everybody who oh, reports yeah. to us. Yeah. And some people think, you know, they're doing pretty well. They don't need my coaching. But anytime there's a deviation between what they're doing and what you really think they should be doing, they need your coaching influence. Yep. And I define coaching as uh, a leadership's responsibility to help people develop the habits they need to be successful in that job position. And those habits are going to vary person to person and job to job. But that's what leaders have got to do is figure that out and do the coaching that's going to make a difference. Yeah. And learning how to be a coach, that's something that's new. You know, I wish I would have learned that a little bit earlier, but, man, what a, a whole skill set, the, how to be a coach, how to be an effective coach, how to ask effective questions. It really, questions. Is. It really is. Yep, you've got to be on purpose. You've got to be empathetic. You've got to be sensitive to the needs of the person. you got a lot of things you need to do to be a good coach, but yep. you got to focus. Focus mostly on the skill sets. Have they developed the right habits? And do they have, have they developed some bad habits? And the best way to get rid of a bad habit is to replace it with a new habit. And I think that's what coaches are for, to help people do that. In a lot of emails I get, a lot of people that I've coached, they've, and they've, they've come across a podcast and they say, well, you know, I never really consider myself a leader, but um, I always try to talk on here that, look, everybody's got a leadership obligation, whether you like it or not, or whether you know it or not. Where do you stand on that? Mm -hmm. How How do you feel about that? Well, yeah, I think when we accept the the title of a leader, we've got to accept the responsibility that goes with it, and there are many, and it'll probably vary by leadership position, but one of them is, is the dedication to helping our people grow and learn and go to the next level. What advice would you give somebody who's kind of going into leadership position for the first time? They're just dipping their foot in the pool for the first time. Well, in my consulting practices, when I'm dealing with new leaders and managers, I've got a number of books I like to recommend that they get. Mm-hmm. And there's so many good ones out there. There's some great leadership and management trainers. I think of uh, Wolf Rinke and uh, Danny Cox and Ed Oakley and Mark Sanborn and John Maxwell and all of those books of all of those people, I think, are terrific books to help people learn how to be a better leader. What are you reading now? Well, right now I'm reading um, a book entitled The One Thing. 
Oh, yeah. In the, in the essence of it. Have you read that book yeah, as yet? I have. That's a good book. Yeah, it's written by uh, Gary Keller and Jay Papazan. Of, yeah. uh, he's the Keller Williams guy. Yep, I had Jay Papazan on the show. Yeah, he was good. Yeah, it's a wonderful book, and it deals with the idea that multitasking never pays off. Right. Do the one thing today that is the most important thing for you to get done. And it uh, it's a book about focus, I think, more than anything, but it's really well written. It'll help people stay on the right track. So that's what I'm right in the middle of, and in fact, I'm doing an interview uh, for their uh, Keller Williams group next week oh, on that great. book. Yeah, Jay was great, and I remember talking about that it, the whole idea of multitasking is really kind of a myth, and you kind of you're setting yourself back. Mm-hmm. We pride ourselves on multitasking. You know, yeah, and Mark Sanborn's latest book, uh, "You Don't Need a Title to Be a Leader," yeah, is a wonderful good. book. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of great ideas there. You know, as a speaker, you know, obviously, in talking about quotes, what are some of your? I love reading quotes, and I and I probably should share more of them on my show. But what are some of your favorite leadership quotes? Well, Herb Eagle used to say that leadership is the art of leading people astray with confidence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everybody snickers about that. It's really a terrible definition of leadership. But here's one for you. John Wooden, who, uh, John Wooden wrote a couple of great books. One is They Call Me Coach. Yeah. And he said, I would rather play against an A team with a B coach than play a B team with an A coach. Mm-hmm. And what he is essentially saying is he places such a high premium on leadership and coaching skills that that leadership is what makes the difference. So that's one that puts it in a really uh, in, a, in a really good perspective. Um, so anything hold? Uh, I guess um, you know. For, I know you went down the path of, of speaking, but um, talk to me about. You know the the times where you're afraid and fearful. I think mean, it's one thing that gets talked about a lot, and people ask questions. And I think there's a misconception or perception that to be a leader you need to be fearless. But fear is is almost a constant. Uncertainty is almost a constant, at least in my experience. Talk to me about a time you were afraid and how you overcame it. Well, I think from a realistic standpoint, Richard, we all have times and we have dilemmas that we're dealing with, and. I think the number one realization is you don't have to deal with them by yourself. I think everybody needs some mentors or some close friends or somewhat someone whose opinion you respect, who you can call and say, let me tell you something I'm dealing with. I need your advice. And you just ask them. And it's amazing how people, uh, you know, you step outside of your own viewpoint and there are some people who can give you some really good perceptions of situations. So, you know, I would encourage you not to go it alone seek input from others yeah that's good advice yeah i think sometimes and i think that goes to that fear thing and being um i guess being vulnerable which i talk about a lot i think there's some great strength in that you know having the vulnerability and authenticity to go to somebody that you can trust and feel safe with and say man i think so i'm not doing so good and i think also a leader needs to uh you know, I mentioned earlier when it comes to coaching, sometimes we tend to, we have a tendency not to do it to the degree that we should. I think, for example, in leadership, that it's a mistake to try to have a, a leadership or management spread of uh, dozens of people. I think it's hard to really manage some uh, manage people when you've got a group of say twenty or thirty. I think you got to have about six or eight or ten because oh, you need to understand with great detail the strengths and weaknesses of each person to be a good coach. 
And if you go more than about eight people, you are gathering massive amounts of data, and you're going to get some people mixed up there in the, on the process. So that's something that's that's very important. And uh, you mentioned quotes. I've got another one that I like for leaders from J.B. Croft, who's a former training manager of 3M. He said, your people will respect not only that which you expect, but that which you inspect. You see, a coach is always being an inspector. And they're not just trying to catch people doing things wrong. I think it's really good to catch people doing things right, too. Whoever the person was who said that in critiquing others, make sure you give them more positive input than negative was correct. It's those, those coaches, managers, leaders who beat everybody up and catch them doing something wrong who have a tendency to to compromise their own leadership capabilities. That's the wrong way to do it. Yeah, for sure. Oh, I love that. I love you brought that up. You know, I haven't talked much about that on this show, but I've seen that everywhere I've gone, this kind of idea of having too many direct reports and spreading yourself way too thin. You know, the whole idea of small unit leadership, I'm a big fan of where you've got to have, you know, um, you can, yeah. you said, you, well, and I think the span of control, I think, has got to be reasonable if yeah. you're going to really do a good job of individually managing and coaching people. If you've got too many people to worry about, you're not going to do any, handle any of them very well. Nope. Yeah, and you're right. You can get them mixed up and you won't have any time. It's just too much. Yeah. Because it takes time to sit down with them one-on-one, which is so critical and so powerful if you can do that. And you have to do that, in my opinion. Yeah. So what do you, what is some of the best business advice? I know some of the the audience out there they're aspiring speakers and uh, and uh, as am I and um, what what is the best? Well, business a couple advice of things you? that come to mind uh, at a very basic level. Uh, every, you know, everybody talks about goal setting. Not too many people do it. I saw a study where less than one half of one percent of the employed American workforce have their goals in writing. And some people say, I don't need to write them down. i got them right up here in my head, and that works fine. But it really doesn't work fine. And I agree with the expert who said that if you write your goals down, you'll triple your commitment to the goal and to the probability of successful achievement. Another expert said if you add to your goal, your written goal, an assigned time frame at the end, perhaps in parenthesis, after you've worded your goal, you will quintuple your commitment to the goal and the probability of successful achievement. So set your goals in writing, assign a time frame, take them seriously, and have every single year have a serious goal-setting session where you're uh, looking at all the different aspects of your personal and professional life and think about how you can do things better. Yeah, I love how John Maxwell told told us one time that well, that's what he does every year at the end of the year. He retreats back into solitude and he reviews everything he set out he was going to do, and then re- mm-hmm. readjusts for the next coming year. So yeah, good advice. Excellent. Do you have an internet resource or anything you know that that you like to use that uh, all of us could probably benefit from, or any any other application that you that you regularly use? Uh, well, you know, I guess reading books is probably my biggest thing. So. Uh, I don't know. I'm drawing a blank on as far as like various resources other than other than that. I'm just a voracious reader. Well, I think that. And this might make me sound old school, but I've resisted the temptation to buy a Kindle because I have a library of eight thousand books, and I'm committed to tangible books. Man, that's great. So if it gives me a Kindle, I give it to an employee or a family member. That's awesome. I don't want to have a Kindle. <laughs> I want my books. 
Yeah, that's just something I feel very strongly about. Maybe it's some of that Charlie Tremendous Jones influence. Yeah, I don't know, well, Richard. Hey, I think that's great. You know, if it works for you, it's great. I would love to have a large yep. library of books, a den. I've always pictured myself having the kind of Ward Cleaver den with the books all behind me. <laughs> well, when I built my home 20 years ago, I essentially I designed it myself, and I, I built I designed the library first, and then the rest of the home was designed around the library. Wow! So uh, when you come to Memphis sometime, I want to have you in my library. Yeah, I'd love it's to exactly see that. Exactly what I wanted. It's That's, just right. Oh, I'd love to see that. <laughs> well, bonus question for my VIP listeners: I talk about I get a lot of questions about confidence and self confidence, and and obviously being a speaker and being in, and talking about leadership, you gotta exude confidence. But one thing I've always been surprised about, and going through this podcast and learning, it's been um, even some of the the people that I've that you would consider in the highest success buckets there are, they still struggle with self-image, self-confidence issues. Talk to me about your um, how you deal with confidence and being self-confident, even when you don't feel it. Well, I think the greatest factor of confidence comes with knowledge and appropriate information on the topics being discussed or or the things or or on the table right now in a given meeting, for example. And knowledge is critical, but it's available, you know. And and people need to invest the time and energy in expanding their knowledge in the different pertinent areas that are so critically important. I think that gives you confidence more than anything. Mm. I have a lot of people who ask me, Richard, uh, Don, I got to give a speech, and I'm really nervous about this thing. How can I overcome my nervousness and increase the potential? of my speech. And I say, well, rule number, rule number one is the first thing that will, will short-circuit nervousness more than anything else is intense preparation. Yeah, Be really, really well prepared. And you don't necessarily have to write out a speech verbatim. Maybe you're working off of bullet points, but make sure you've got plenty of bullet points and sub-points to cover in a speech that you are well-versed on, well-prepared on, if you'll do that, it's going to go well most ca- in most cases. So confidence comes from preparation and knowledge more so than anything else. Yeah, I I'll also say that uh, the importance of exuding a strong leadership image, that might have been overplayed a little bit through the years. I agree with Ken Blanchard, who says that humility trumps ego every time. Oh, amen. I think there are a lot of leaders who have become egomaniacal and... Yeah. Uh, you know, like the the guys who is in prison today because he gave his wife a million-dollar birthday party in Morocco with company funds. Right. I mean, that is not an insightful CEO. <laughs> he let his ego eat his brain. We've right. got to make sure that we keep all this in the proper perspective. Yeah. Oh, I love that. You're right. It's not about the ego and the charisma. It's about being authentic, humble. That's correct. Yeah. Very, yeah. very well said. Well, guys, what a fun conversation. I could talk to you for hours about this, and so I'm going to hold you to that uh, invitation when I get to Memphis in your library. You can, That'd be uh, great. We can continue this conversation. It's been a pleasure being with you, Richard. I love to talk about leadership and, and what we can do to help make our people better, and that's what it's all about, because the tendency is we think of a company and we think of brick and mortar, and it's more about the about the human resource, the potential of the people, what's going on in the minds and hearts of the people in that company, because that's what's going to really make it great, and that's the responsibility of leadership. Well said. How can give a quick plug? How can people connect with you? How can they find you? Well, uh, DonHudson.com is the website, and it's H U T as in Tom S O N, and that tells you everything we're doing at the Don Hudson website. Perfect. I'll have links to this when I post this interview. Don, thank you so much 
for coming on the show. My pleasure, Richard, and good luck in your uh, interviewing process. And I uh, hope our uh, listeners today got got a few ideas that are helpful. Well, I'm sure that I'm I'm sure of that. You know, tremendous value. Thanks for coming on the show. You bet. My pleasure. Richard invites you to become a part of the Dose of Leadership community. Visit doseofleadership.com and sign up to receive his free Common Sense Leadership ebook, a guide that highlights how all of us can learn to become calm, confident, consistent, and courageous in all aspects of our lives. Richard is also available as a speaker for your next event. Richard specializes in practical leadership and change management. He has a philosophy of inspiring everyone to think and act like a leader, which is based on timeless natural principles and common sense. You can get more info by visiting doseofleadership.com.